If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You've been, you have sent to John, and he testified to the truth, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. I do not accept the praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of the Father in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet Make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Amen. Thank you, Jolene. And you can have a seat. Let's pray uh, together. I want to pray for Benedine Schneider. She's not doing very well. And also Wayne uh, Schumacher and other people that are on our prayer list that's listed in the bulletin. God, we just thank you for a chance to call on your name. Lord, we need some help. Lord, Benedine needs help today, Lord, and I pray that you'd bless her. Lord, that you would strengthen her. You would empower her, Lord, that you would... Just give her your healing grace, and we pray the same for Wayne Schumacher and others that are on our prayer list, Lord. Uh, we just thank you for opportunity to partner with you and with them in this gospel ministry, the ministry of your word here at Calvary United Methodist Church. And Lord, we just want to commit uh, this time to you, that you would speak to us, that you would soften our hearts, and we could hear your voice and have some eyes that can see who you are, Lord Jesus in your name. Amen. So I invite you to keep your finger on the text here in John chapter 5. As you know, uh, we're going through the book of John, and the theme verse for John is John chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's why he wrote the gospel. I was at the state wrestling tournament. You, you guys know that I like wrestling? Yeah. Um, and for the Fellowship of Christian Athlete uh, event that they had, there was like 100 uh, students there, wrestlers there, listening to Clay Reams. He's a former NDSU Bison wrestler. And one of the things Clay said was that it's all about Jesus. I thought, man, that's awesome. That's what I'm preaching about. It's all about Jesus. Life is about Jesus. The scriptures are all about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. And I want to focus this morning on something I think is hugely and massively important 
for John and the other New Testament writers, specifically the way they viewed the Old Testament scriptures and how those scriptures relate to Jesus and what difference it makes for us. And so John chapter 5 is a good place for this focus because twice in this passage, Jesus says that the Old Testament scriptures are written about him. Because first of all, the scriptures witness to Jesus. Look at John 5, 39. You search the scriptures, Jesus says, because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they, it is the scriptures that, that testify or bear witness about me. So Jesus is saying that the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, our scriptures, taken as a whole, they point and they witness to Jesus. And then verse 30, uh, 46 says it again a little bit differently. It says, if you believe Moses, uh, that's the author of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. If you uh, believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. So verse 46 says that Moses <laughs> wrote about Jesus and verse 39 says that the scriptures testify, they witness about Jesus. Think for a moment the implications of saying that the scriptures testify or witness about Jesus. What does the word witness imply? What is a witness? Well, listen to the way John uses the word in John 134. John the Baptist says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And then John 3, verse 11, Jesus says, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen. And then John 3, 32 says, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. And then John 19, 35 says, he who saw it has borne witness. And so, a witness is somebody who has seen something and can witness to what he has seen. A witness gives, you know, firsthand evidence. You know, he was there. He doesn't argue that something happened. He says, uh -huh, I know it happened, and I saw it. Now think about this. God is the witness. Think about that. So what does it mean when John calls the Old Testament scriptures a witness to Jesus? Since writings really can't see, I take it to mean that scriptures is kind of shorthand for God who inspired the scriptures. You see, God saw Jesus and knew Jesus long before Jesus was on earth. He saw him as his son in heaven eternally. Remember John chapter 1, verses 1? You know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And he saw what his son would be in history when he came. And because he saw, he could witness. God is the witness. And so when John says about the scriptures in 539, it is they that bear witness about me. He means that God knew Jesus perfectly, that God knew Jesus fully, and that he inspired these scriptures, and that through the scriptures, Jesus is revealed. God said things and did things in scripture which if, he, if we had understood them, would have given us kind of a glimpse of Jesus and would have prepared us to recognize him and receive him when he came. But you know, he came to his own, his own received him not. Well, think about the witness of the scriptures in John's gospel. This is huge. 
The implications of this for ourselves and for people of other religions are huge, but before I look at those implications, look with me at how John uses the scriptures as he writes his gospel. And here's kind of a quick little survey uh, to give you kind of a sense of how important the witness of the scripture is for John. Like in John 2.17, Jesus drives out the money changers in the temple, and then John quotes an Old Testament passage, John uh, Psalm 69, 9, and says, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And then another one, in John 6, Jesus reminded the Jews that their fathers ate manna in the wilderness, just like Exodus 16, 15 said. And then he applied it to himself. And he said, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's in John 6, 33. And so the manna is kind of a picture. The manna is, is a type. The manna points uh, to the life and to the ministry of Jesus. And then another one in John 6, 44, verse 45, Jesus teaches that no one comes to him unless the Father actually draws him. And then he explains it in terms of being personally taught by the Father. And he refers to an Old Testament passage of Scripture, Isaiah 54, verse 13. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And so the prophets actually point ahead to how people will come to the Messiah, how people will come to Jesus. And then another one, in John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus compares the Holy Spirit, right, to living water that's gonna flow out of those who believe on him and says that this has all been said in the scriptures. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Maybe he's referring to Isaiah 58, verse 11. You know, you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And the passages that actually compare the Holy Spirit to water, we don't have time to look it up, but I, I, I wrote them in the bulletin there, Isaiah 44, verse 3, Ezekiel 36, 25, and 26. And then there's another example, John 7, 42, the enemies of Jesus draw attention to the fact that the Messiah... They knew where the Messiah was going to be born. The Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, and they referred to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, because they didn't think that's where Jesus was going to be born, or where Jesus was born. But he was born there, and that too pointed to his truth. And then another one, John 10, 35. I think it's one of the most important references to scriptures in John's gospel, because after referring to Psalm 82, verse 6, Jesus says, the scripture cannot be broken. I think this is one of the strongest claims for the infallibility and the inerrancy of scripture there is in all of the Bible. The scripture cannot be broken. And didn't Jesus say the same thing in Matthew chapter 5? Verse 17 and 18, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, one of the smallest little teachings in Scripture will fall to the ground. It's all going to be fulfilled. That was Jesus' view of the Bible. I think one of the most amazing statements about the scriptures in the Gospel of John is John chapter 12, verses 37 to 41, where John 
He quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, uh, which has in it that famous vision of God, you know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, Isaiah 6, 3. And then John says in John 12, 41, Isaiah, listen to this, Isaiah said those things way back, 700 years before Christ. Isaiah said those things because he saw Jesus' glory. He saw it. He was a seer. He saw Jesus' glory and he spoke of him. This is amazing. 700 years before, Isaiah is witnessing to the glory of Jesus Because when he saw the glory of God revealed from heaven, he was seeing the glory of Jesus. Nothing more complete could be said about the way the Old Testament witnesses to Jesus Christ. In short, John is saying, where God is manifest in the Old Testament, Jesus is manifest. If you see God work, you see Jesus work. That's what John is saying in his gospel. This means that the way the Old Testament gets people ready to know Jesus is not merely by specific prophecies that have specific fulfillments in Jesus, like being born in Bethlehem. There's plenty of those. But even in a greater way, the point is, if you meet God, and if you know God, and if you admire God, and trust God, and are shaped by God as he truly reveals himself and his ways in the whole of the Old Testament, then when Jesus comes, you will Know him, because you will already have known him. He will have so shaped your mind and heart that when he comes in the flesh, there will be no doubt. There will be no discord. There will be no dissonance, no contradiction between the God you know from the Old Testament and the appearance of God in Jesus Christ. John chapter 12 37 to 41, it's an amazing window into how Jesus viewed the Jewish scriptures. And then, from chapter 13 of John, kind of getting ahead of ourselves, to the end of the book, um, John points, uh, just continues to point out and pour, uh, pour it on to show that almost every detail of Jesus' redeeming work was planned by God And it was witnessed in the scriptures of the Old Testament. Here's a few. He who ate, you know, in John uh, 13, 18, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And he's quoting John 41, 9. Or in John 15, 25, they hated me without a cause. And he's quoting uh, Psalm 35, verse 19. And in John 17, verse 12, not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And that's a quote from Psalm 109, verse 8. And they divided my garments among them for my clothing, and they cast lots. You know, John writes in 1924, but he's quoting from Psalm 22, verse 18. And then another one, John uh, 19, verse 28. Jesus said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And he quotes from Psalm 69. And then another one, not one of his bones will be broken, he says, you know, in John 19, 36. And he's quoting from Psalm 34. Do you get the point? Do you get what he's doing here? He's just quoting the Old Testament scripture. Here's another one, John 20, verse 9. As yet they did not understand the scripture that he might rise from the dead. And he quotes from Psalm 16, verse 10. And besides all of these clear, uh, just out in the open 
quotes from Scripture, John's gospel is filled with kind of indirect allusions to Scripture too. Most of the New Testament is the Old Testament. So we have indirect allusions, we have direct quotes to show specific fulfillments, and we have statements like in chapter 12 that I just mentioned that show that the whole Old Testament revelation of God is a revelation of Jesus. And if we know God as he really is in the Old Testament, we will know Jesus. I said earlier that the implications of this for ourselves and for people of other religions, it's huge. Let's close by looking at three of these as Jesus actually confronts unbelief like he was doing in John chapter 5. Number one, do you know God? John eight nineteen. Jesus' adversaries, you know, who claimed to know God said, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. The fact that these adversaries do not know Jesus, do not perceive his deity, do not perceive his messiahship or his role as the suffering servant like Isaiah 53 talks about, shows that they do not know God. You know neither me nor my father. That's what it says. Do you know God? Our mission statement here is to know Christ. And to make him known. Another way Jesus confronts unbelief, do you honor God? John 5.23 says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The Father and the Son are revealed in Scripture as such a, a unity that if you dishonor one, then you dishonor the other, at least according to John's Gospel. And if you claim to honor God today, but reject Jesus as the divine Son of God, the one who is crucified and risen, the risen Savior, Messiah, your claim is false, and you do not honor God, according to John's gospel, according to the scripture. Question number three, do you love God? And in the text today, Jesus said in John 5, 42 to 43, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. <laughs> it's Jesus talking here. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. How does Jesus know that they don't love God? Because they don't receive Jesus for who he really is. He's the Son of God. And Jesus is the test. Clay Reams was right, the wrestler. It is. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. In short, you can test yourself and others as, you, as to whether you know God or honor God or love God, and the test is Jesus. And any claim by a Jewish person or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a spiritualist or an animist or a Christian, any claim to know God or honor God or love God while not receiving Christ as the Son of God and the crucified risen Savior is a false claim. The measure of all true knowing God and honoring God and loving God is knowing 
and honoring and loving Jesus for who he really is. Therefore, Christian, whether Jew or Gentile, I, I get into the word of God. Embrace the scriptures, Calvary. Get into the Bible. Read your Bible. All of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, because in those scriptures, you come to know God for who he really is, and that means coming to know Jesus because all of them witness and they speak of him. And I conclude with, I'm uh, going to go through the whole Bible in just a few minutes, you know. In, Ge- in Genesis, who is this Jesus? He's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, the high priest. In Numbers, he's the cloud by day and the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, Jesus is the prophet, just like Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's the judge and the lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer, the lover of our souls. In First and Second Samuel, Jesus is the prophet of the Lord. In First and Second Chronicles, he's the reigning king. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls. In Esther, Jesus is Mordecai. He's our advocate. In Job, he's the day spring from on high. In Psalms, he's the Lord who is our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Jesus is the wisdom of God. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover, and he is the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. He's the righteous branch. He's our righteousness. In Ezekiel, he's the son of man. In Daniel, he's the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. He's the fourth man in a fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the bridegroom married to a backslidden woman. In Joel, he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. He's the restorer of justice. In Obadiah, he's the mighty savior, mighty to save. In Jonah, he's the forgiving God. He's our great foreign missionary. And in Micah, he's a messenger with beautiful feet. And in Nahum, Jesus is the avenger of God's elect, our stronghold in the day of trouble. In Habakkuk, he's the great evangelist crying for revival. In Zephaniah, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Haggai, the cleansing fountain, the signet ring. In Zechariah, he's the pierced son. He's that humble king riding on a colt. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he's the king. In Mark, he's the wonder worker slash servant. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the ascended Lord, the savior of the world. In Romans, he's the justifier. He's the righteousness of God. In 1 and 2 Corinthians, he's the resurrection. He's the gifts of the spirit. He's the God of all comfort. And in Galatians, he's the one. He sets us free. In Ephesians, he's Christ of riches. In Philippians, he's the God who meets our every need. He's our joy. He's the name above all names. In Colossians, Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead. And in First and Second Thessalonians, he's the soon coming king, the Lord of peace, our hope. And then First and Second Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the blood that washes away our sins. In James, he's the great physician. In First and Second Peter, he's the chief shepherd. In First, Second, Third John, he's everlasting love. And in Jude, he's the Lord who came down with 10,000 saints. He's the foundation of your faith. And then in the Revelation, 
Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lion from the tribe of Judah, the Word of God, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and bright and morning star. Do you know him? Do you honor him? Do you love him? Clay's right. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The whole thing, it's about Jesus. The, the, the scriptures testify and witness to Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just are so grateful for the truth of your word and for John's gospel, his witness, his testimony, and Lord, the way uh, you inspired him to write uh, his gospel and use the inspired words even from the Old Testament to point us to you, Jesus. These things are written so that we might believe Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, we might have life in his name. And as we take up the offering today, God, and as we sing more about Jesus, I pray that it would be true for our hearts, that that longing in our hearts to love you and honor you and serve you more, more about Jesus, more. We want more of you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.